0: We're going to look at Ephesians 1 uh, tonight. We've been studying Mark kind of line by line and, and story by story in the life of Jesus, but we wanted to pause. It's Easter and, and take like just a big picture view, and we're going to see that from Ephesians 1. So table of contents, first page. It's a help, man. Just go to table of contents, Ephesians 1, and we're going to read from verse 3. But before... Um, before we do that, Easter is one of these big parties, days, if you're uh, really following Jesus. We got Easter and Christmas are highlights for us as a community, as a people, and so we think this is like super special, not just because of the facts, like the facts. Jesus was born, all right, we know that. Any serious historian would, would tell you Jesus was a real man, and Jesus died. Every serious historian in Christian, non-Christian, would tell you, yes, Jesus died in Jerusalem or just outside of Jerusalem. Jesus rose again. There's a little disagreement on that, but lots find the evidence for Jesus's resurrection convincing, and we're not going to get into that tonight because, like, special days aren't just about facts. So if you're a little unsure about the facts, that's okay. Uh, Celebrations are about what the facts mean. What do I mean by that? Uh, How many of you celebrate your birthday? Some of you who don't? Weird. Okay, okay. Most of you celebrate your birthday. And now we know what a birthday is about. A birthday is not the celebration that you were born, eight pounds, nine ounces, in a hospital, in pink, grayish slime. Is that what a birthday is about? Think think about it. Like, like, whoa, why'd you go there? Because the birthday is not just about the fact that you were born, but your birthday is a celebration of what that means. Your friends or your family, hopefully, hopefully they like you and hopefully they honor you and they put together a party. Why? Because, because you were born, that means something. Because you're alive, you are making a difference in their world. And so when we celebrate special occasions, we're actually celebrating what the facts mean. And so with that in view, what we wanna look at tonight is what does the resurrection mean? If it's real, and if Jesus really rose again, what does that mean for like everyday life? And the the, the question tonight that's big is what does the resurrection mean to you? So if this is real and Jesus has risen, What does it mean for your world? What does it mean for your Monday? What does it mean for what you think about your job and your family and your neighborhood and your hobbies? Does it make any difference in the world? Put it it another way, Jesus rose from the grave, so what? Like, so what? Is it just a historical thing? Or is there supposed to be some meaning that we come together and we celebrate? Uh, if you're new and you're visiting, we celebrate, not just twice a year, Christmas and Easter, we celebrate every week here on the weekends that Jesus is risen. We celebrate in homes all over this community in what we call missional communities, smaller groups of people who eat together and hang out and pray for one another and care about one another and, and, and consider the Bible and consider their neighbors and how they can make a difference. The resurrection to those of us who are serious about this means something, but what does it mean to you? Now, right after Jesus did rise again, something interesting happened. It affected a lot of people. And they began to go around telling this news that this man from Jerusalem had, had, ro- had risen. And he's alive. And he wants everyone to know it. And they started to go all over the Roman Empire and tell the news and gather together people and started communities. We now call them churches. And they began to share this message. And, and they began to tell the teachings of Jesus. And so what happened over time is more and more people who had never met Jesus like us, right? Have you met him? No. Did you walk with him when he was here? No. So what what happened was leaders who saw him, who knew him, began to write down what Jesus was about and what the resurrection meant to daily life. I want us to read one sentence. Okay, it's Easter. We're not going to go overboard. One sentence. It's just a little long. One sentence from Ephesians 1 because a, Paul, a guy named Paul, who met Jesus after he had risen, he didn't know him beforehand, but when Jesus rose again, he appeared to Paul and showed him who he was, and it totally wrecked his world for the good. It turned him to a person who is persecuting those who follow Jesus, to those who began teaching that Jesus is indeed alive. And when he writes to this community, in this region called Ephesus, he writes and starts his letter with like, okay, here's what the resurrection means. And we'll just allow me to read one sentence. Uh, again, it's a long one. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Now that's, if, you're, if you have a Bible, that's in English, it's probably a period there. The only challenge is when, when Paul writes, he writes in Greek, uh, not English. This is translated. And that's not where his sentence ends. So we're gonna read where his sentence ends because first sentence in a letter kind of means something, right? So let's keep going. For, and he continues, he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight and in love as the sentence continues he predestined for us us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace which he has freely given us in the one he loves is that where the sentence ends no the sentence continues. This guy has the longest run-on sentence in the universe. It keeps going, but he can't stop himself. He has no time for a period. He says, in him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. And with all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. Now, if you're new to the Bible, I already lost you because his language is so complex. We're like, what? But the sentence is not done. This is, he's not done with his first sentence. Verse 11, and goes on, is one continuous long run on. He says, in him we're also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him Who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And he's almost getting to the end. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit. Guaranteeing our inheritance unto the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Breathe deep. That was just long. Okay. Now, like, why in the world would I choose one of the most thick and dense, like, little passages on Easter? It's because of the big picture. Paul writes one long sentence to talk about the meaning behind the event. If Jesus is risen, So what? And so in this, Paul starts his letter to his friends saying, this good news has day-to-day implications for you and day-to-day implications for me. So what's the big picture? We're not going to go word by word here. We're just going to look big picture and then highlight a couple of terms that Paul uses to describe what can happen when you choose to follow Jesus. Big picture. What is he saying? He's saying God is pursuing us. God is like everything, if you you read it carefully and read it again, I encourage you to do that. Everything in this minus one little line is God-centered. Everything is about praise God. Just look at verse three. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He starts by saying what we're doing here matters. Everyone ought to praise God. God. Why? God has been pursuing. God's been looking. God's been searching. God has been after you, those of you who live in Ephesus or Hillsborough or Lower or Beaverton or Banks or wherever you come from. God has been trying to get your attention. God has been after you. Paul's looking big picture and then he he gives us a few things to land on. What do you mean God's pursuing? Well, let's just look at it. God has chosen to bless us. Look at verse 3. Praise God, the Father, of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us. God is not after us. I don't know what your view of God is, but, but he starts this letter with an honest evaluation. God is not out to get anyone. He wants us to know his goodness. God has chosen to bless us. Second thing, verse four, God chose us. So God's looking for us. Verse four, for he chose us, In him before the creation of the world. For mom and dad thought about you. God was thinking about you. God knew you would be here. God formed us in our mother's womb. God chose to give us life. And he has been looking to bring us close. What's the third thing? God decided in advance to adopt us. The fancy term there. He predestined us. He chose in advance. He decided in advance that he would create a people that would be adopted in him. God lavished his grace on us verse eight. If you read it in Greek, it's like grace upon grace God has given towards us. It's not like his goodness was enough. So Paul just loads it and says, grace, 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 grace. God, is trying to bless us, uh, chooses to adopt us in advance, and, and he cares. Not only that, he has made known to us his will. So God's like, what God's doing in the world is not a mystery. I'm like, God, what are you up to? He has given us, not everything, but he's given us enough to trust him. And all of this is God word. God is looking. God is pursuing you. That is where Jesus fits in the entire story. If, you, if, if we think that God's out to get us, Jesus makes absolutely no sense. But when you look, and I'm not getting this out of nowhere, Paul is a student of the Bible. He's the equivalent of a PhD in his day in the Bible, he's read it cover to cover. As a matter of fact, the first two thirds of the Bible he would have memorized, memorized. And as he read the pages, and as he encountered Jesus, his his eyes were opened. Oh, wait a minute! God has been pursuing. But but Paul and Paul says God. He doesn't use the generic term for us. God means like anything, cosmic force, whatever you want God to be. And it's very hip in the Northwest to create or create our own understanding of who God is. So we're not even on the same page when it comes to God. But if you want to know the God that Paul is talking about, he defines this God very clearly. How do I know that? 11 times, 11 times in one sentence, he uses a phrase to define who he's talking about. If I want to make an emphasis, I'll say the same thing, 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 again and again. And if I use the same word again and again, it means it's important. Now for Paul, this phrase is in Christ or in Jesus. So if you're new to this whole church thing, Jesus Christ is speaking about the same person. Christ isn't his last name. Sorry. It's like Jose Zayas, Jesus Christ. No. Uh, Christ is just a title identifying who this person is. Jesus is, if you're a Jewish, it was the title Messiah, sent one, promised one from God. And so Paul used the word Jesus, he used the word him, or he used the word Christ 11 times in one sentence to make a point. So I want us to think through this grid. What does God, what does it mean that God's pursuing me? It means he's pursuing me in Christ. So we're going to throw up that next slide on the screen that gives us everything we just read, but as Paul defines it, every one of them. So th- let's just look at verse th- uh, four, uh, three again. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms of every spiritual ble- blessing in Christ. And we, could, we can go down the list. Every single one that we mention, he chose us in him before the creation of the world. He decided in advance or pr- uh, predestined to adopt us through Jesus Christ. Christ in Him, He's lavished grace, and He made known to us the mystery of his, his will, which He purposed in Christ. So, for for Paul, thinking about what's the point of the resurrection, what's the point of Jesus, He wanted the church to know, and He wants you to know. And I think God brings us together to remind us that everything that God has been doing was leading in a direction, and God has been pursuing us from the beginning of the Bible till now. And the greatest display of God's pursuit and God's love and God's affection towards you, if you want to know what God thinks about you right now, all you have to do is do not take my word for it. You look seriously at the person of Jesus. And as Paul began to read the Bible again, having met Jesus, he saw the Bible with a new lens because he realized that the God who created the universe had come in his son, and now in his coming, we could see exactly what God is like and what God is like towards you. So if you read the pages of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these histories of Jesus, you wanna know what God is like? Just look at the person of Jesus. But this phrase, in Christ, is interesting because it's a relationship. What Paul's is saying is all this stuff that God's doing is out of or the outflow of a relationship. This is why it's going to be really helpful. How do you know what the resurrection means and what it means for you? You got to think not in like churchy terms but just think about relational terms. God is pursuing me because he wants to be involved in my world. He wants to know me and so relationships drive everything. God is not just after you coming to buildings and doing religious stuff. It's more deep, it's more personal. He wants to be involved in your world. That's why everything that Paul says here is in this connection to Jesus. I'm gonna use use the word Jesus instead of Christ. Jesus is the center of the story. Uh, Now we get this, so let me just use a human illustration. It may be helpful, it may be cheesy. I'll let you judge. Um, When I was 16 years old, I met a young lady curly brown flowing hair wearing a green and black top and black pants and I could pick the black shoes in in if they were in a store right now I could tell you exactly what she was wearing I met her when she was 14 years old her name is Carmen she's here tonight I was 16 she was 14 and when I saw her my whole world changed and as a matter of fact uh we got a photo I think think we got it uh photo (laughs) this is um That is me on the left side. In case you're wondering, like, that is not a stage double. Um, There's no, there's no, like, Hollywood involved. That's me. And uh, actually, I'm a hipster from the east side. Can you tell? (laughs) I'm totally. Anyway, um, it's east side. Those glasses will cost you a fortune. So, um, so we met and, and we started a relationship and uh, on that couch, uh, her dad, sitting in another chair, threatened to kill me if I ever did anything wrong against her. Another story for another day. But we started something uh, when I was 16, she was 14. We dated for five years. And then I asked her to marry me. And the nature of our relationship changed. And so I think we got another photo, right? I think, yeah. So there I am, scared to death. Do you see it? <laughs> what? And there she is smiling because I can't go anywhere. It's, you know, it's over. No, right? no. Uh, there, there we are and our relationship changed. So we went from little kids and I learned about her and she learned about me. We became like best friends first and fell in love and, and we got married. Now that relationship, we celebrate every year, June 5th. We celebrate our dating anniversary, October 5th, 1988. We celebrate our wedding anniversary, June 5th, 1993. And those dates are not just facts. What happened is when I met this woman, my whole world began to change for the good. So when you think Paul saying in Christ, in Christ, he's not talking like theological mumbo jumbo. He's saying when you meet this person, your life begins to change and things begin to unfold. And now out of that relationship, years later, God gave us two kids, Jonah and Alina. Uh, if you have a little uh, baby, Jonah I think is serving in the kids area and Alina Is super curly hair, and she's jumping up and down because we pumped her with so much sugar this afternoon. She's never going to go to sleep. So God gave us this family. Now, it all started 16, 14, when we we were in each other, in relationship, and and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew, and it grew. Now, do you see Jesus, do you see relationship with God in that kind of like box, in that kind of frame of reference? Because that is the heart of what Paul is saying. That's the heart of God is that all of this stuff comes out of the overflow of relationships. So what I want to do now that we kind of have this like framework, all I want to do is go back and look at a couple of things that Paul says like in Carmen, in relationship to her, some amazing things have happened. What happens when you really take seriously God's pursuit of you? When you realize that he loves you, when you realize that he's, He's for you, not against you. When you realize that he knows your junk and he still cares. When he knows what you're thinking, which is against him, and at the same time, he is still passionately pursuing goodness for you, even though you don't care about him. When you think about that, a couple of things will happen if you are in Jesus. Let's just look back at the text. The first there says we become holy and blameless. Look at verse four. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. God chose us in Jesus to be holy. Now, how many of us would say with like integrity that you could say, yeah, if God were here, like here, here, showed up, that I, I have the right to hang out and know this God who made the universe. I think most of us would admit that we don't feel very godlike. We, we know our baggage. We know our story. And so, but, but God's purpose in relationship through Jesus is that you would stand before God right now, holy and blameless. Now, it does not mean that followers of Jesus and those who are in him never make mistakes. Uh, this week, those of you who are followers of Jesus, would you say you are perfectly holy? No. <laughs> you know, were you... Were you blameless this week? No. But what he is saying is that because of Jesus, because of who I am in relationship with, when it comes to God, I can stand before him, right, holy, set apart, blameless, not because of what I've done, but because of who I am connected to. Anyone who's married knows what it means, this phrase, I'm married up. Those of you who married, just, just, pretend you believe me on this, whether you believe me or not is another story, you married up. If you're married and you're a guy, yes, I did, I married up. And what what do we mean by that? We mean that when you look at my wife, it's like, wow, how did he, the guy with those goofy glasses, how did he get Carmen? Well, I married up. So I get like favor, I get blessing, not because of who I am, but because who I am with. Now, in a very real sense, if you choose to follow Jesus, you can walk out with the confidence that even though I do sin and even though I am not blameless, because I am in in relationship with Jesus who is holy, never did anything wrong, who is blameless, even though he was without sin, he laid down his life for my good. I can be right with God because of his goodness. I'm in Jesus, therefore I'm holy and blameless. Second thing is I'm adopted. If you look at it in verse five, that's a weird term. Why would he say the word adopted? In love, he predestined us, verse five, for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. How do I become holy and blameless? Paul tells us. God chose in advance. Here's how I'm gonna do it. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna take people here in Hillsborough and those who really believe that I love them, I'm gonna take them out of one family and I'm gonna bring them into mine. The reason I'm a follower of Jesus, the reason I could say that I'm holy and blameless in God's sight is not because of my track record. It's because God has taken me out of one family and brought me into another. The, the, the word adoption just makes sense. When you choose to place your trust in Jesus and follow Him, what does He do? Uh, we're in a family, we're, we're following a pattern. And the Bible, if you read it from cover to cover, it says we're descendants of Adam and Eve, aren't we? We all came from the first family, Adam and Eve. No matter what your background, we've come from that first couple. And that first couple, Genesis 1 and 2, God made the earth and it's beautiful and they walk with God. That's the way God intended it. If you read just the beginning of the Bible, read the first few pages, God made a beautiful place and, and, and you think Mount Hood on a sunny day is a beautiful sight. God created the whole thing for us to enjoy and enjoy him. That's God's plan. And if you read the Bible carefully, first few pages, God is walking with Adam and Eve, hanging out. In the cool of the day, they're enjoying life. And that's God's plan, close relationship. But by chapter three, we know what happens. Adam and Eve do exactly what God says not to do. They rebel just like we do. And so all of us are a part of this family. of Adam and Eve, we're human. And so we choose to ignore our creator, ignore God, and and that isolates us. You Look at what happens when Adam and Eve sin. What happens is they're in a garden with God and they're out because God is perfect and blameless, but they're not. So to walk with God with all of their junk, God is unlike them and they're unlike God. But God's plan from the beginning was to adopt them, bring them back in a right relationship. So the word adopted may seem blasé to you, but it's huge. Think about this. No matter what you've done, if you choose to be in Jesus, he takes you out of your old patterns, out of your old habits, and brings you into a family. If you were to adopt a child, it would be the same thing. Born into a different family, from a different background, different heritage. But if you choose to say, I love this boy or girl, I want them into my family, what happens? The judge comes, and in our culture, they do a little background check, this, that, and the other. The lawyers get together, and then in a moment you leave the old family and you're brought into a new one. And in a very real way, Paul's just like trying to use words to say how good this is, that when you choose to become in Jesus, even though you're from a human family, it's not like we're not disconnected, we're not uh, connected to our human family, but it means before God's sight. We're no longer patterned after the old couple, that, that the sin and death and junk, but rather we're patterned after God. He chooses to give us His last name, so to speak. And tonight, if you say, I want a a total transformation of life, Jesus says, you become adopted. It says, you're related to God as Jesus is. You're sons and daughters of God, just like Jesus is the son of God, and that's why I can stand before him holy and blameless. Well, what what does it take? You say like, you're trying to say that God wants me that close? Yes, and Paul tells us how it happens. Look down at verse seven. It says, in Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So so God wants to bless. He wants us to be like close. How does he do that? He, He adopts us. He brings us in when we choose to become related, connected to Jesus. But what do I do with my junk? I thought Adam and Eve, they couldn't be with God because of their background, their history, well, the fact is we're, we are isolated from God, but God is so good, he chooses to redeem us. And he tells us how. Through his blood, and what's redemption? The forgiveness of sins. And so that is Jesus, that's the story of Good Friday. Jesus on the cross, even though he did know sin, he chooses to give up his own life. Uh, sin leaves a debt, uh, most of us, uh, if you've got a wallet or you have a purse, you have a debit card or a credit card. I don't know how you do. Maybe you carry bundles of cash. Congratulations. I don't know. Um, I, I just don't trust me with cash. So, you know, wherever I go to a store, I, you know, I, I swipe and, you know, swipe and swipe and swipe. And then at the end of the month, you get your bank statement or you get your credit card, bill, whatever, and, and it's just got a list of everything you've done, right? It's all there on the list. Now, if it's a credit card, as opposed to debit out of your checking account, it's like, oh, there's a bill. Like, if you purchase something online with a credit card and it shows up to your house, eventually you gotta pay for it. Like, we we think of that like a no-brainer. But think about the negative side of that. Think about charging up so much where you cannot pay. What do you do then? Well, in a real sense, a credit card's just a human illustration. We've all made choices, 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 choices to rebel against God. Well, in the end, what do you do with that rebellion? We gotta pay, but the good news and what Paul is getting to is we don't have to pay ourselves because Jesus redeemed us from that. He's got a picture of the slave market. Uh, Back in the day in Ephesus, uh, people were bought and sold as property. And if there was a slave, if you wanted to pull them out of that, I as the owner could pay the price to bring them into my home and set them free or adopt them, give them my last name, I could liberate them. And what Paul's using, he's just using his human language to display what God has done. In Jesus, when he died on the cross and rose again, he had you and I in mind, that he would see our swipe, our sin list, whatever you want to call it, our baggage, our habits, our addictions, and he wanted to cover those. And so the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is life that lasts forever in Jesus. And so the way that we're liberated and made children of God, adopted, is that Jesus, he doesn't just say, "Ah, the sin didn't happen, overlook it. He's good and he's God and he doesn't overlook anything. He pays for it himself in his own son. You wanna know, love, that God would send his own son to stand in your place. This is amazing grace. This is unending love. That he would take my place, that he would bear my cross. These are the songs that we're singing, but this is the reality that we're talking about, and it's all in Jesus. Now, here's the punchline of this, because you're wondering, well, that's, if that's so great, how come everyone doesn't follow Jesus? And I'll tell you why, because he includes it in here. Look down, if you would, at verse 13. Um, This is the one statement about us. Now, if all that is good and you want that, this is what it takes to walk in that reality. It says, you were included in Christ, verse 13, when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal. So you say, okay, God wants to bless. Okay, right. God chose in advance to bring people who would believe in him into his family. Yep. And and the way in to adoption is he cleans me up from my sin. He pays for it. He redeems me. Yeah, he did it through Jesus' blood. Yeah, okay. Well, what do I do then? It says hearing believed. You need to know this. And so many of you, I think in America, because we're a Christianized culture, people think they understand the good news. But this may be new to you tonight. Maybe you've been coming, maybe you've been searching, reading, thinking, but it hasn't been clear. God loves you. God's pursuing you. He showed it in Jesus and he wants to give you life, but you need to hear it. You need to know it, right? And then believe. And this is the tricky one. Because when I say the word believe, um, I believe mint chocolate chip ice cream is better than plain vanilla. I believe that, right? But that's, but that's like subjective, right? Because some of you would say, no, vanilla beats chocolate, beats strawberry, whatever. you. So uh, my belief, your belief, who cares what you believe? Because for us in America, we hear, the, we hear the word believe, and it just means think, uh, have an opinion. But that's not what the Bible says by believe. Words matter. And this one, I got to clarify. I'm going to nerd out for a second. I apologize. School on a Sunday night. But here we go. The word believe, I looked it up with careful resources, what does this word believe mean in this line on this page in this Bible? The word believe means different things in different spots, but when Paul says it, I'm gonna throw a definition up because I don't want you to miss this. Believe means to, and here's a, a definition, to entrust oneself in complete confidence. So believe is to have absolute trust and absolute confidence. But it's not just confidence in a fact. Look at what it says. With the implication of total commitment to the one who's trusted. Let's run this through the grid. Having heard and believed, you were sealed with a promise. Having heard and put your absolute, total trust and confidence with in view a commitment to the one who did this for you. That's what the Bible means by belief. A better word for believe in our lingo is trust. It takes absolute trust, not in yourself, not in your philosophy, not in your own effort, but trust that what Jesus Christ did, he did for you. He did because he loves you. And so if you hear that and you say, Jose, tonight, I put my absolute confidence And I am committed to follow this Jesus who absolutely loves me. If that is what you mean by believe, then I'm calling you to that kind of belief tonight. Not just to say Jesus is a nice guy and church is a good thing and I feel good when I come and and yeah, I'm learning some stuff and I'm a better person. Are you willing to absolutely commit yourself to the leadership of Jesus and to say that if Jesus, because of his work, can really get rid of my sin list and really bring me into God's family and really show me the way to live and really give me the promised Holy Spirit. One last one and we're gonna continue in worship. Because you're like, well, how in the world can I live this out? If you're saying following Jesus is about trusting and having confidence, Jose, you don't know me. You don't know my habits. You don't know my background. I can't do this. I tried. I, I was 15 and I went to some camp and they said, believe in Jesus and you won't go to hell. And I was like, man, hell's hot. I'm gonna avoid that. It's worse in Florida. I don't want to go. And I'm 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 I want to go to heaven. You know, I want a harp. I want a cloud. I want to sip a pina colada and love Jesus. You know, like our this is our view, right? Well, escaping hell is a good thing. I'm all for escaping hell. But it's, it's more than that. It's that this is what you were made for. God made you to know him. He made you to walk with him. And what God has done is he's not only rescued you through Jesus, but he's given you his Holy Spirit. Look at the middle of verse 13. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. What does it mean to have the Holy Spirit when you, when you trust in Jesus Christ? He gives you himself, God comes. This is mysterious, but it's beautiful. And he lives with you. God the Father sends his Son, and the Son dies and rises again, and he goes back to the Father and he says, I'm not gonna leave you alone, I'm gonna walk with you. And one day, I'm gonna make the whole world new. One day, it's gonna be different. One day, you're gonna walk with me without sin, and without temptation, and without all this junk. I'm gonna make the world new. But until then, you can have the power to live like a child of God right here and now. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate that. And you really can. And that actually is my dad. You can walk in in line with the way God created you to be. Hear me. I am not saying you're never going to mess up. I'm not saying you're never going to disappoint. I'm not saying you're never going to slip into a habit. But I am saying if you choose to follow Jesus Christ, you don't have to. Before you choose to follow Jesus, you have no choice but to walk in your family heritage. All of us are sinners by nature and by choice. But when you get thrown into God's good family, when Jesus adopts you in, you now have the power, God gives you the power within to resist. And you will find that over time, little by little, point by point, you will walk differently. You will think differently. You will be able to conquer Maybe not all of it in a week, in a year, in a decade, but the rest of your life will be marked by looking more like Jesus than you did a month or a year or a decade ago. And those of us who have been following him for a long time, that's our story. It's not that we're better. It's not that we're perfect. It's that we have been chosen by God and we've been blessed by God and adopted by God and redeemed by God and given the spirit of God. And now you can live in a whole new way. Let me go full circle. Is that what resurrection means to you? Because that is not just what resurrection is, it's what resurrection means because Jesus is alive and he sent his spirit. Anyone who calls on the name of Jesus can be transformed from the inside out. That's the good news. And my friend, that is why millions upon millions of people see today as special. And see today as different because we believe that this did happen and it does happen. And tonight, the question is, will it happen in you? Where are you in relationship to this God who's not out to get you, but is trying to bring you close? Are are you moving in his direction? Are you resisting? Are you falling more in love with his love towards you? Or you just like, "Eh, go Blazers. I don't care." Like I got sports, career, fun, hike. I I I don't need any of this religious stuff. I would just say to you, my friend, don't forget that God is absolutely concerned about you. And you may not see it and you may not feel it, but all you have to do is look at the person of Jesus to know it. And tonight you can know him not just as some religious character, but as the one that you follow, the one that you love, the one that does a work inside of you. You can know him. Tonight, what's the resurrection mean to you? And if it doesn't mean that, you know what? It means I am changed, then it can be. You could walk out with a whole new story, a whole new way of seeing life, a whole new person, the spirit of God, living doing something inside of you. If you hear and believe, put absolute confidence, trust in that what he did, he did for you. And now you can go his way and he'll actually show you how.